for us with uh, prayerfully moving forth with community groups in April of 2015. Uh, So we're learning about what does Christian community look like? What does it look like to live life together as Christians? And today we're on part two of a, a series called Community Essentials, and we'll look at the importance of truth in Christian community, the importance of truth. What you hold in your hand is, is the majestic word of God. It is, it is perfect. These are not uh, merely words written by man, but it's words that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's breathed out by God. So let us read it with uh, deep appreciation that God chose to reveal himself to us. Let, us. let us read it with deep honor and deep respect. And let us prayerfully read it as God captures our attention. Precious word of God reads. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. On Christ the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Thank you, Father God, for that truth. Pray, Father God, that you will help us to appreciate that and to know that and to to live that together as the community of God. Thank you, Father God, that your son Jesus is a solid rock, that he is immovable. Thank you, Father God, that he is our rock of refuge and that the righteous run into him and are safe. Thank you, Father God, that the devourer, that Satan cannot touch us and cannot snatch us from his hand, that you love us with such a great love, that you've set your grace upon us, Love us in spite of us. Thank you, Father God, for this good news that we cannot work our way up to you, but that you came down from heaven and died upon the cross and said it is finished so that we wouldn't have to work, so that we would only have to look to faith in your son Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would speak now. Oh, for your servants are listening. Pray that you would give a dead heart life today. Don't allow us to be self-deceived in this place. Give us the joy of the Lord as a result of your, the preaching of your word. Give me wisdom, Lord. You promise to give it freely to those who ask with no doubting. Please, Lord, give wisdom now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Some of you know, but 
Uh, some probably have not heard uh, the testimony that the Lord um, has, has given me. I uh, grew up uh, in a, a Christian home and be, became a Christian, I believe, really at a, at a, as a preteen. I wasn't uh, walking uh, with the Lord before the Lord came and got me, saved me, and uh, gave me a new heart, and I, I began to walk with him. My father is a uh, pastor. He planted a church uh, that has been in existence for now 18 years, and I got to start experiencing the, the saving grace of the Lord and, and getting to know Jesus. But then I went off to college. And while I was in college, early on in my collegiate experience, I, I suffered a, a couple of, of tough losses. Uh, a couple friends of mine's passed while I was away at college. And then on, on top of that, the girl that I had been dating throughout high school that I had set my heart and my mind on marrying, we ended up breaking up. Our relationship just completely dismantled. And at that time, rather than run to God, I ran away from God. Rather than finding my refuge in him, God revealed to me that that relationship was an idol and that it didn't take much to shake my faith as my faith was shaken when my friends were taken. Now, once those loss happened, my parents and even those who were Christians who knew me, they would have thought that I was still trusting in Jesus. From the outside, it looked like I was still hanging in there, like I, I uh, was still walking closely with the Lord. But something in my heart shifted, and, and I know that I wasn't. I had become two-faced. I, I, I began to have two different faces. I began to have the Christian face when I was around Christians and when I was around my people back home, I, I knew what to say, and I, I knew how to act blessed, and how to look blessed, and I, I, I knew how to talk Christianese. But when I was alone by myself, I was walking in darkness. And I had another set of friends that, that weren't Christians, and, and that only learned that I was a Christian if they really had blasphemed against God. I, I knew how to be a Christian in some circles, and I was learning how to be a non-Christian in others. I was an imposter. I was an imposter. And that reality started to sink in more and more as I became exhausted with wearing two faces. In fact, it became confusing. I was living a lukewarm life. I didn't have peace. I, I didn't have joy. Uh, I, I, even when I went to sleep at night, I, I found myself constantly questioning, Lord, did you really save me? Am I really yours? I, I had no true assurance. If I heard a convicting message, rather than saying Christ is convicting me and I should run to him and be encouraged to grow in him through his power, I was now saying, man. Should I go down to the front of the church? Begin to go to a, a big church, a mega church. And I went there because I knew that I could just kind of hide out. I could sneak in and hear a message and leave out and remain the same way. Have you ever been an imposter? Have you ever got good at wearing multiple faces? I did. Brenning Manning 
wonderful uh, Christian writer who actually just recently de- deceased, he says these words, that the imposter is the classic codependent. To gain acceptance and approval, the false self suppresses or camouflages feelings, making emotional honesty impossible. We present a perfect image to the public so that everybody will admire us and nobody will know us. The imposter prompts us to attach importance to what has no importance, clothing with a false glitter what is least substantial, and turning us away from what is real. The false self causes us to live in a world of delusion. The imposter is a liar. For that season of my life, I was a liar. But praise God that he loved me too much to allow me to remain an imposter. He loved me too much to allow me to to walk through the rest of my life wearing two faces. The Lord sent a pastor in my path who invited me to a Bible study, and at that Bible study, I met a young man by the name of Steve Cato. Steve Cato was an incredible Christian and really discipled me in the areas that I was weak and, and preached the word into my heart. And he refused to let me stay where I was. He put a a gang of other Christian men beside me. And it's just like every other day they were calling me, inviting me to Bible studies, inviting me to their apartments, pouring into me. And the Lord began to to allow that life that was in me to, to grow. God wanted me free and dear friend today, Those of you who find yourself wearing two faces, I come to tell you today that God offers you freedom. And he offers you grace. And he loves you. And he gave his son for you so that you could be who he designed you to be and have joy and victory in your life. So the big question is, how do we stop living as as imposters? And even those who are Christians today who say, well, I believe that I'm a Christian. I know that I'm a Christian, but but I have a hard time being transparent about the areas that I struggle. How do we find freedom to be transparent? How do we find that? And today we're going to learn through today's text that community helps us with that. Community prompts us and and pushes us to to walk in the truth and protects us from self-deception. There was one sentence that I would want you to remember today is just that, that, that the community of God prompts you to walk in truth. It prompts you to walk in truth and protects you from self-deception. Today we look at this text and there's two big truths that we're going to see. Number one is believing that in order to uh, find transparency, in order to not have two faces, we must believe that God is truth. And we're going to see that in 1 John chapter 5, chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. God is truth. And the second thing we're going to look at today is how the gospel frees us to keep it real. So God is truth and how the gospel frees us, the good news of Jesus Christ, frees us to keep it real. We see here in 1 John that John is talking to the church, probably of of Ephesus, as he has written his letter, and it has a very uh, uh, pastor tone to it. He is pastoring his church, and he is uh, trying to help them to put off two faces. They have begun to believe false teachers. 
And these false teachers were teaching what, what is called the uh, Gnostic gospel. A Gnostic gospel. It was a, a weird gospel that, that looked more like Plato than it did Jesus. It, it followed the, the thinking of a philosopher named Plato rather than, than Jesus. And at the end of the day, it, it said two things. Number one, it, it taught antinomianism. Antinomianism is the belief of, of lawlessness. It says because you have asserted or attained a certain amount of knowledge, you are now free to live however you want. And God does not judge your sin. Because you have assented to a, a certain amount of knowledge, you are now free to live however you want to live. In today's culture, that would be, I, I walked down the aisle and I got baptized. And now, um, that's all that matter. I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. But the second thing that came out of this Gnostic gospel was this teaching of Christian perfectionism. It was a, a deception that says, because I have now assented to this knowledge, I am I'm perfect. I, I don't sin. I don't have a problem with sin. The bad things that I do is no longer sin. So they were walking and they were believing that they were not in sin and they were not understanding what sin was and being honest with it. So John wants to teach this community what, what it truly looks like to walk with Jesus. And he doesn't want them to be imposters because they were claiming to know Jesus and yet they were living any old kind of way. But this is the importance of Christian community. John is able to look at their lives and, and gently step in and redirect their hearts back to Jesus and say, this isn't the way that God calls us to live. And some of us, we're just struggling in our Christian walk. And that's what we've been learning in this, this series, right? A lot of us are just stuck in our Christian walk and we're slaves to particular sins and particular ways of thinking. And we, we, we may be genuine Christians, but the reason we haven't seen that powerful growth and we, we don't know the Lord is because we haven't allowed people to get to really know us. We've put up this veneer and we're wearing these fig leaves like Adam and Eve in the garden and nobody really knows the true us. So we, we come to church and we, we put on our church face, but when we leave, we're back stuck in sin. And, we, and some of us, we, we now believe that Christ does not give us the power to free us from that sin. But God has given you, brothers and sisters in Christ, some who have been where you are now, but who have now been freed because of the good news of Jesus and because someone showed them a better way. Let me show you how to get free, how to live a life of transparency. How to live a life of transparency. The first is that we must trust that God is truth. Let's believe or trust that God is truth. Verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So John says, we heard a message and we preached it to you. And this is the message. God is light. God is light. What does it mean that God is light? What it means is, is that God is truth. God is truth. Now, how do we come to that conclusion? Number one, we, I came to that conclusion by the immediate context. John in these five verses and really for the next chapter is showing the difference between walking in truth and walking in a deception or being deceived. And they are deceived. Second, we see throughout the book that, that this theme is constantly coming up 
of truth versus deception. In fact, he closes the book in chapter 5, verse 20 by saying these words. And we know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. But why does John use the word light? The reason why John uses the word light is because light is a very, uh, light brings revelation. Light brings revelation, and God is a God of revelation. And he has revealed himself as being truth and being the standard of truth. God has revealed himself as being morally pure, as being glorious, as being uh, without stain and without sin. Just like light reveals to us uh, what is dark, what, uh, what is dangerous, so does God reveal to us what is in error. Truth versus deception. Light versus darkness. Light keeps us from falling in a ditch. Light protects us when we're walking in the day from hitting our head on something that's hanging low. God is light. God is true. He protects us from going in a path that will lead to destruction. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see God showing up throughout the Old Testament as light as he led the, uh, Israel through, uh, the, from, away from the Egyptians as a pillar or of light, <laughs> a, a fire, a fire. We know that throughout the Psalms, whenever we read about God being light in passages like Psalm 119 or Psalm 27, right around that word light, you will find truth. So John is saying God is truth. John chapter 1, when John introduces Jesus, he introduces him as light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. What? I am the truth of the world. I am the standard by which people will know if something is right or wrong, if something pleases God or displeases God. But I love what this verse says in 1 John. Look at what it says. It says, and we came preaching to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He almost uses a similar form to Hebrew parallelism here. He, in order to make his point, he, he restates it. He says, God is light and there is no darkness in him. And not just no darkness in them, there is no darkness in them at all. What is he saying? There is no sin in them. There is no error in them. There is no small print to God. So when God says that he loves those who put their faith and trust in Jesus with an unconditional love, and that nothing can separate us from that love, he is saying you can take that to the bank. No matter what your situations, no matter what your circumstances look like, no matter what Satan tells you, you can believe that he loves you in spite of your current circumstances. See, that's where I went wrong. Lost some friends. Had a relationship that I invested too much into that became an idol. And God stripped it from me. And I drew the conclusion that God didn't care about me because things weren't going the way that I thought they should go. I drew the conclusion that God didn't love me, but the Bible says that there is no darkness in God. There is no wrong in God. There is no error in God. 
There is no sin in God. At all. That's what James says. James chapter 1. He says that God cannot tempt one with evil. He goes on and says that all good things come from the Lord or above who is the Father of light. Some of you may be tempted today to believe that God is not good, that he doesn't love you. And as a result, you are running to sin and you are caught in sin and you are wearing two faces. Today I come to tell you that there is no blemish in God. Come to Jesus, trust him. When you come to him, there's no small, fine print. He loves you. He's truth. goes on to say in the next two verses to apply God is truth, God is light into uh, their hearts. And, and he's going to give us application. So what does that mean? He says there's two things that that means. Number one, since God is truth or God is life, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He says God is truth. And if we say we have fellowship, what is fellowship? Fellowship means to participate in, or share in a, a, a common activity or mission. If we say that we are on mission with God and we are his, while we live in darkness, John said, y'all lying. Y'all lying. If you are saying that you are a Christian, what does it mean to live in darkness? It means to live in sin. It means to, 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 to hate the things that God loves and to love the things that God hates. To walk in darkness means to go the opposite way of God. He says, if you are saying that you are a Christian and professing that and living contrary to truth, Habitually, intentionally, says you're lying. Forty million Americans confess to be Christians. Forty million. If 40 million Americans were truly Christians, America would look a lot different. Our families would look a lot different. Our churches would look a lot different. Our communities will look a lot different. Our places of employment will look a lot different. Many people say that they follow Jesus and go through religious activity while habitually living in sin. God, John, John is trying to be as clear as possible. He says, listen, God is light, God is truth. If you are saying that you're walking with God while living in darkness, you are lying. You are an imposter. But then he says the second part of that is this. Look at, the, look at your Bibles or the screen. If we say we have fellowship with them while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light means you're walking in truth, 
You're hating the things that God hates and learning to love the things that God loves. You're learning to because you're a disciple. You're learning to. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So he says, if you are walking in truth, he says, you now have, you are walking in fellowship. You are able to be in fellowship with one another. What does that mean? To be in fellowship with one another. To be in fellowship again means to share in a common mission, a common activity. He's saying if you are walking in the truth, you are sharing in a common mission, in a common activity with one another. Who's that one another? Well, two things, I think, in the context of John. Number one is God. He says that you are experiencing God, and you are in a relationship with him, and, and fruit is coming out as a result. Fruit is coming out as a result. You are intimate with him. You are enjoying him. But not only are you in fellowship with God, you are in fellowship with other Christians. If you have two Christians that are walking in truth, despite their differences, when they come together because Jesus is their center, there is a camaraderie. There is a deepness there. There is an enjoyment there. I'll never forget what I said to Steve Cato, the guy who discipled me when I was in college, as he began to pour into me and remind me of the gospel and call me to repentance in certain areas. And, and one weekend he wanted me to come to a Christian event and I was doing absolutely nothing. And he said, why don't you come to this event? And I looked at him and I said, I don't like hanging around Christians. He said, excuse me? <laughs> I said, oh, I don't like hanging around Christians. He said, how can you not like hanging around Christians? And you're a Christian. You all have the most important thing in common, that you love Jesus. But as I look back on that statement, the reason I did not like hanging around other Christians, and truly, some people who say they're Christians, as we talked about, they're hypocrites and they're not really Christians and we can be turned off. But how can you say that you don't like hanging around other Christians? The reason I was able to say that was because I was walking in darkness. I was still trying to pick up girls. I wasn't trying to live pure. I love the things of the world. I was trying to just ball out. My heart was being redirected back to where it should have been, but I knew that if I was around these Christians, man, I, some things was going to have to change. Christians should be able to come together and have a good time together in a time that God would be pleased with, conversations that God would be pleased with, because they are each individually connected with God and having a relationship with him and walking with him. So if you're here today and you're like, I don't like hanging around Christians, but you can hang around other people who are just as, if not more, more messy. It may be because you prefer to walk in darkness.
Because if you're not hanging around other Christians, then you're hanging around other people who don't believe in Christ, who are not walking and looking to walk in the light. But you're comfortable around them. And I know that they're not being progressively sanctified, growing to look like Jesus. So what is John saying? He's saying, trust that God is true, and if you are walking with the Lord, you are experiencing that truth, growing in that truth, learning to enjoy to bring, being around other people who are walking in truth and experiencing that truth. And we need other people in our lives to point us to the light and to call us out of that deception, to call us out of that deception. And that leads us to point number two. Not only do we need to trust that God is truth, but we also need to know that the gospel allows us to keep it real. The gospel allows us to keep it real. We are all broken, finite, sinful individuals. We need people in our lives to help keep us on track, to warn us about ditches, low-hanging branches, to speak to our life and warn us about our unbelief. All sin stems from unbelief. I need brothers in my life to tell me you're not having faith in this area, and as a result of not having faith, you're tripping out in this area. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we believe the gospel and that the gospel frees us to keep it real. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ, we don't have to put on fig leaves. We don't have to play the role of imposter. How does it free us to keep us real? Look at what verse number 7 says, the B clause, the second part of the text. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus... His son, God's son, it cleanses us from all sin. So what is he saying? He's saying if we believe that God is truth, we're walking in the truth, we're experiencing this truth by being connected to God the Father, we're experiencing a good relationship with other Christians, and as we're experiencing this good relationship with other Christians, the gospel is having an effect on us. What Jesus did on the cross is having an effect on us, and it, it has an effect on us two ways. Number one, it has an effect on us because we're living with an understanding that because of Jesus, we are justified. We are declared righteous before God. That our performance is not what allows us to be saved, but Jesus' performance on the cross is what allows us to be saved. Our works is not what it gives us acceptance before God. It's putting our faith in Jesus' works, and Jesus' righteousness now becomes my righteous. But there's a second part of that. It's that the gospel is cleansing me every day. The blood of Jesus is washing me and making me look like Jesus more and more every single day. So when I'm in deep relationships with people, and when I'm experiencing Christian community, and I sin, or I stumble, and I fall, and a brother and sister calls me out on it, my life isn't shattered. I don't have to be ashamed, because the Bible says that we all are sinners, and we all fall short of God's glory, and that the gospel is what's going to clean us. So I can look to the cross, and I can look to his blood, and I can have confidence that 
it's going to get better. And we can have confidence and we can embrace each other as broken individuals because we both and we all are being washed by the blood. That we all are a work in progress. May not be where I want to be. But praise God, I'm sure not where I used to be. I may not be two miles away, but praise God, I've crossed the street. And one who is walking in truth, they are progressively growing to look more like Jesus. And you can look back year after year and say, I've grown in this area. Now, there's still another area, so I'm not going to get comfortable, and I'm not going to get the big head. But Jesus' blood cleanses you. What does he mean, blood? Blood is the source of life. Saying Jesus and what he did on the cross, it gives you life. It fights off all those sinful infirmities, the things that you want to do. As you look to Jesus, that blood washes and begins to take that desire, take that taste away. I was a hot mess. I was a couple drinks away from being an alcoholic. I was living in the dark. And then coming to church on Sunday. But praise God, I kept coming. And you can only be around the gospel for so long and community before something starts to change. Either you're going to be drawn closer or you're going to start walking backwards. those who are struggling with sin today, I say, look to the cross. You say, I'm struggling with that. I'm telling you, Jesus can free you. Whatever it is, he doesn't call you to be a slave to anything but to righteousness. And it's because in his blood there is power. In his blood there is victory. In his blood there is safety. In his blood there is a future. God created you to be free, not to be a slave. And it's a process. God had to start changing the, the, my taste buds. Things that I, I, I once liked, he had to start changing. I had to stop hanging around some of the guys. I, I would try at first to hang around them, then certain things started getting passing, and I'm like, well. But God started giving me a, a hate for those things. And all of a sudden, I had a desire for pure relationships with a woman had a desire for a pure relationship with God. And it was only by his grace. I didn't clean myself up. I couldn't, I couldn't work hard enough. It was Jesus. I remember getting on my knees so many nights, begging God, change me, cleanse me. I remember so many times when I just felt like giving in to sin, getting a, a phone call from Steve Cato or one of the other brothers saying, man, what you doing? Come on, let's hang out. We are transformed by the blood of Jesus, and we experience transformation in community. If you are isolating yourself, if Sunday morning is the only time that you're really around Christians, and you say, I'm a failure, this thing isn't working, I'm saying, it does work, you're not a failure, look to Jesus, run to community, know that the gospel sets you free from being an imposter. What someone else thinks about you 
and, and has to say about you, if you come out and, and, and you say that you're struggling with this sin, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that God says that you are no longer guilty. And he loves you. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So there were some who were uh, in the church, again, who were so deceived about themselves and so deceived about their sin that they said, I, I don't have any sin. And, and there, what, what John is talking about, the way that this is written, is they were denying the fact that they had a sin nature. They were basically saying, I can't sin. It's not just that I don't sin, I can't sin. And John's like, y'all lying. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And look at this, and the truth is not in us. We have to have the right view of sin. And look at what he's doing. He's freeing Christians. He's saying, you guys are walking in fellowship with God, walking in fellowship with each other, and guess what? You're all sinners. So nobody can point the finger at each other. If you're walking around saying that you're uh, about to say something, uh, <laughs> if you're walking around saying that you are not walking in sin, and, and that you have no sin, that you're perfect. He's saying you're deceived. We're, we all sin. Look at what he says again. He points us back to the gospel. He's trying to free them with the good news of Jesus. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. If you confess, that word confess literally in the Greek means to agree with. If you agree with, what God says sin is. Sin, harmatia, to miss the mark, to miss God's standard. If you agree with God that you miss his standard, if you confess that you miss his standard, look at this promise. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That is beautiful. That is grace. No small print. He said, if you're failing, you're messing up, you're entangled, confess it. Stop ignoring it. Stop sweeping it under the rug. Stop saying that it's okay. Everybody has their little pet sins. Admit that you're stuck. Admit that you're in trouble. Confess it. Now, who are we confessing it to? Number one, we're confessing it to God. But guess what? God already knows it. He just says, humble yourself. Come before me. Humble yourself. Trust me enough to tell me what I already know about you. Trust me enough. But there's also value in confessing our sins to each other. James 5.16, that says that we should confess our sins one to another, and, we, and you shall be healed. Some things, some things, are too much of a stronghold to fight alone. Some sins are too tempting and we're not built up spiritually to fight it alone. But that's why God gave you your brothers and your sisters in Christ. So that you can confess that to a mature believer who you see having victory in their lives, and you can come and say, listen, the Bible says that God forgives us of all our sins and that we should forgive one another 
Brother, I'm asking for your forgiveness as I, I simply want to admit to you that I am entangled in this sin. And I need help getting out of it. Will you hold me accountable? Will you tell me how to get free or point me to someone who can help? And because of the cross, we don't have to be ashamed. I don't care what sin you're dealing with. You don't have to be ashamed. We are all messed up. We all have blemishes. We all have sin. And we all can experience freedom from sin, freedom from habitual sin by looking to Jesus and by speaking to one another. Look, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Satan's going to tell you that he hasn't forgiven you. Satan's going to tell you that God's grace isn't good enough. But you have to go back to the word and you have to believe that God is truth and what he says he means. Look at what he says. And not just to forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And how does he cleanse us? Because of the blood of Jesus. What does he mean cleanse us? He is washing us consistently. May not happen overnight. It's going to be a process of many things. And when we fall, we quickly get up and we run to God and we run to community. It's a promise. Look how he closes off. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Has John been direct or not? He says it again. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar this time. First he says, you are lying. But now he says, we make him a liar. And what does he mean by that? John is saying God has revealed to us throughout the scriptures. Psalm 51, David, I was born and shaped in iniquity. God has revealed to us that we are born sinners. Born sinners. Romans chapter 3. The Bible teaches us that each of us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's saying if you're saying that you're not sinning, then what you're saying is, is that God is a liar. And that's blasphemy. And that's blasphemy. So what is John trying to get this church to do? He's trying to get them to come clean. Just come clean and see sin as sin and be freed by the gospel and ex walk in truth and experience victory in Jesus. Experience victory in Jesus. Let me give you some quick applications as we close up today's sermon. Quick applications. Number one, this text calls us to do a self-examination. Self-examination. I think each of us should ask the question, am I trusting that God is truth or am I believing a lie about it? Has Satan sold a lie to you about God that you're believing? Maybe it's that God doesn't love you or maybe it's that God doesn't care about your habitual sin. Maybe it's just that, that God has given his son Jesus on the cross and that the sins that you are entangled in really don't matter. 
Are you believing a lie about God? Are you believing a lie about God? Romans 8 and 1 says that there's no condemnation in, in Christ Jesus. And we want to remember that it's okay to miss the mark, but it's not okay to strive to miss the mark. We are going to miss the mark sometime, but when we are striving and practicing missing the mark and intentional about missing the mark, it's not okay. And if we're doing that, it's because we're believing a lie. Number two, in light of this text, we need to learn the gospel, and we need to learn to tell it to ourselves daily. We need, we need to learn the good news of Jesus Christ, and we need to learn to preach it to ourselves daily. What, what is the good news of Jesus? If someone was to ask you, what is the gospel, would you be able to share it? And not only that, are you able to apply it to your life? John is freeing this church at Ephesus by preaching the gospel and by showing them how it applies directly to their life, directly to the way they think. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. It's, it's the, the story of how God created us in his image to love him, to be with him, but how we sinned against God. And instead of obeying his commandments, we did what we wanted to do. And as a result of our sin, the Bible says that a holy God cannot embrace sin. He cannot be in relationship with one who has sinned, even once. And as a result, we deserve hell, eternal separation from God for all eternity because we choose not to love him. The Bible says that God sent his only son into the world. And that Jesus lived and, and obeyed God perfectly in a way that you and I could never do it. And then not only did he live the perfect life, but he died upon a cross. And on that cross, he satisfied God's wrath, that God's wrath was poured out on him instead of us if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. That as a result, as a result of Jesus dying on the cross, we now have a relationship with God and access to God, and we now can have the power to defeat sin because of our resurrected Lord. And that affects every area of our life because it reminds us that God loved us while we were yet sinners. And that even when we sin, we are still loved by him. We've got to know the gospel. We've got to apply the gospel. When Satan says that you're not this and you can't have this and you can't live victorious, you've got to preach to yourself and say, I can. And I am a child of God. I've been adopted into his family. Third. Get in community. This text pushes us to community. If you are not experiencing enjoyable times with Christians who are walking in the truth, run to other Christians. Learn to enjoy being around Christians. Learn to submit to, to God's word and his truth and allow other Christians to gently rebuke you and say, Yo, I love you, but the way you're living according to God's word is wrong. 
God has given us a light so that we can clearly see what is pure and what is dirty. And that's dirty. But it's okay. It's okay if you confess your sin and look to Jesus. And I'm here to give you help. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to look down upon you. I'm a sinner just like you. And that's why we're really pushing community groups here at Forest Baptist Church. And we explain that next April we are going to be gathering prayerfully in each other's homes. And we are going to be reviewing Sunday sermon, seeing how we can apply it to each other's life. And just getting to know each other. Helping to meet each other's needs and, and praying together. Allowing our kids to play together in order that we would not be deceived. It is so easy to fall into self-deception. And it's so easy to be deceived by Satan. Satan is the master of deception. He is the father of lies. That's what he does. That's who he is. We need to be in each other's lives to keep us from falling into spiritual ditches. And when we fall into a spiritual ditch, we need to know people who can help us get out. Fourth, we need to, in light of this text, we need to pray for and share the gospel with loved ones who are walking in self-deception. Many of us know people who are saying that they are Christians, and we're close to them. And they may go to church on Sunday, and they may outshout everybody in the church on Sunday. Right? But their lives from Monday to Saturday is completely contrary to the light. Pray that God will give you boldness to come alongside them and say, you know, the Bible says, my sister, you are habitually living this way, intentionally living this way. And the word of God says that as Christians, we should not walk in darkness. A Christian may fall into temptation, and stand in darkness. But we're not walking in it. That's not our path. That's not the way we do it. Right? We may stand, and when the Lord convicts us, we walk in the light. Or when a brother or sister gets us, we walk in the, we, we, we move. If that helps any. I'm not saying that we should stand, but we, we may fall. So pray for and share the good news of Jesus with loved ones who are self-deceived. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility. For some of us, that, that may be a spouse. On Sunday, come to church or periodically comes, but you know that they are not loving the truth. They, they're not reading their word. They don't like to pray. They don't get excited about talking about Jesus. They talk about sports. Talk about their job. You can talk about their grandkids. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? Then you start talking about Jesus. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. I was saved when I was two. I got baptized when I was two. Oh, I know the Lord. He heard my cry. Praises go up, blessings come down. Yes, they do. Right? Trying to quickly change the subject. 
Before you share with them, I'm telling you, pray. Pray that the Lord will reveal in your heart if there, it, to you if there's a log in your eye. Pray that the Lord will give you the right opportunity to speak the truth with gentleness and grace. Lastly, I think this text calls us to simply be amazed at God. Be amazed at God. Be amazed at him. When we look at this text, we see that God reveals himself as light. That is a glorious, welcoming picture. That's a beautiful picture. When we look at this text, we see that even though we sin, God is calling us sinners, telling us that we're sinners, that he still wants to be in fellowship with us. That should be amazing, that a perfectly pure God wants to hang out with you every day and reveal more of himself to you in spite of you, in spite of me. Be amazed at that. Be amazed at the fact that Instead of him telling you to cleanse yourself, he says, I'll cleanse you with the blood of my son. That he's not requiring you to work or just to try harder. He's requiring you simply to have faith in Jesus and to cry out for mercy. And he's saying, I will empower you. Close with this reading in Revelation 22. As we talk about this God who is light. Revelation 22. Actually, 21 and 22. Chapter 21, verse 22. God loves you. He died upon a cross for you in order to satisfy the wrath of God, but not just to satisfy the wrath of God in order so that you could be free. You don't have to be an impossible. You don't have to hide. When we as a church understand the gospel, we understand that we all are sinners. We all need God's grace, and we need help. We need help. Verse 22, what a glorious and amazing picture of our God. And I saw no temple in the city, for his temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives light, and his lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of one day we will be in a new Jerusalem. One day we will be in heaven. And one of the glorious truths about heaven is that there will be no sun, no moon, no nighttime. The glory, the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of the Father is going to light up the world. Won't be able to look to the north. Won't be able to look to the east, to the west, or wherever to find any source of light from outer space. 
The city is going to be lit up with the presence of God. Won't need a nightlight. Because God's beauty, his infinite worth, his majestic presence is going to fill it all up. And I think one of the glorious things about that is that as the city is lit up, we won't be able to do anything but think about God. Because the only way that we'll be able to see and not need light is because of him. But the Bible says something in verse 27. It says that only those whose name is in the Lamb's book of life will enter in. The Lamb's book of life is an eternal book that God has. And in that book, everyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus and what he's done in his life, death, burial, and resurrection will be saved. Everyone who's been given a new heart by the Holy Spirit will be saved. And your, book, your name is in God's book because you have eternal life. You now get to enter into heaven because of what Jesus did for you. The Bible says that's not the case for everyone. People who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus, your name is not in the book of life. The Bible says that you will not get to experience a city that is lit up by the glory of God. Instead, you will get to experience a place called hell. Hell is eternal separation from God. It is where people go when they did not trust Jesus. It is a place of intense agony a place that the Bible describes as being a place of fire, an unquenchable fire, a place where teeth are gnashing, and the pain does not end. It goes on for all eternity. Trillions and trillions and trillions of years later, those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus will suffer. If that's you here today, I want to encourage you to look to the blood of Jesus and find life. He loves you. He died for you. Give yourself to him. Run to him. Embrace him. Trust him. I think one of the hardest things about hell will be being there and hearing preachers' voices as they Pled with you to put your faith and trust in Jesus and remembering all the times that you ignored him. If that's you today, I plead with you, don't ignore him. Whoever you are, wherever you are, come to Jesus. He can wash you. It's not going to happen overnight. You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes, but that's okay. He died for stand to our feet as we sing a, a song to our Lord, reflect upon his goodness. If you're here today,